Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to share simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I want to talk about how important is it to buy well. So when I talk about buying well, I guess there's two ways that you can potentially do that. The first one is that you can get your market timing absolutely perfect. And that is buy at the bottom of the market. So just after the market has dipped, buy completely at the bottom of the market. Here's an example of perfect market timing. If you had have invested in the Australian stock market on the 21st of December 2018, so just before Christmas, that was the low point. Uh, your investment would be up 15% now. So market timing in that regard could potentially generate uh, strong returns, or at least that's what many people are sort of thinking about. Uh, secondly, uh, what about buying below intrinsic value? So if you're able to find a distressed seller or you're able to be, you know, you're a really good negotiator and you get, you buy a property for below intrinsic value, how important is this? To answer this question, what I did is sat down and developed a financial model and I modeled a $750,000 investment property purchase. What I did is uh, determined, I guess, base case level assumptions on interest rates and growth and rental yields and all the key components that drive investment property returns. And then I held everything constant and then sensitized, you know, just changed one variable to measure what is the outcome over a 20 year period. So it's suggesting we invest in a property today uh, for $750,000, hold it for 20 years, uh, we have to obviously fund its negative cash flow for a, a reasonable period of that ownership period um, and then sell it, pay capital gains tax and walk away with a bunch of cash in our bank account. Um, and so I sensitized just one variable at a time to, to see what's the range if we got it perfect or if we really uh, did, a, did a really poor job. Um, so what is the high and the low of that particular variable? Um, and uh, and sensitize, and that allowed me to measure which uh, factors have the greatest financial impact on your after-tax investment returns. So before we get there, there's a great quote by Warren Buffett, and it goes along something along the lines of "forecasters will fill your ears, but never your pockets." You know, the interesting thing um, is that when we make financial decisions, unfortunately, too many of us. Uh, focus on short-term financial indicators that influence a long-term financial decision doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? I mean, if I'm going to go, if I've got plans in a fortnight's time, I'm not going to look at the 24-hour weather forecast to work out where, you know, what to wear on that particular day. You know, it's, it's not, it's not congruent. You're not using the same information. Um, unfortunately, though, that we get influenced by a lot of this sort of stuff. So people going out and making predictions of interest rates and exchange rates and stock markets and property markets and these sorts of things. The only thing that should influence our decision making uh, when making a long-term investment decision is long-term fundamentals. That's the only thing we should be impacted by. All this short-term noise is a mere distraction. Now, the good thing is that most people are influenced by mere distraction, and that creates a market that is able then to generate returns because some people will make very bad decisions and some people make very good decisions. If everyone on planet Earth made fantastic investment decisions, investment returns would reduce. 
you know, because there's always someone else on the other side of the transaction. If there's a winner, there has to be a loser. And, um, and so, so that's okay. Just make sure you're the winner. You know, you're not, you're not the loser on the other side of the transaction. So, for example, returning back to my example of perfect market timing, buying into the Australian share market on the 21st of December last year, someone sold on the 21st of December last year and someone bought. The, bought, the, the person that bought, at least now, as of today, they're 15% up, they're the winner. The, the person that sold, unfortunately, um, arguably is not, not the winner in this, this example. Anyway, returning back to this property analysis, so I compared seven factors, seven factors that I think impact on your after-tax cash flow return, and seven factors that um, sometimes uh, people uh, either focus on one of those factors, or sometimes people try and chase two rabbits and and risk catching neither. So that sometimes people focus on all seven things and try and optimize all of them, uh, and I can say that's virtually impossible because. Uh, some of them are competing. So the first one is capital growth. Uh, so um, that's really the average rate of growth over the 20-year period. I'm not suggesting that, that growth is even over a 20-year period or, in fact, if we make an investment, it will be even. But all we can do is really average out the return. And I guess the way we address volatility is by being a little bit more conservative about that average return rather than being bullish. I picked the mid- midpoint at 7%. 7% compounding capital growth rate uh, over a 20-year period on average. Now, I think that would be the low end of what an investment-grade asset should produce. But again, I'm happy to be conservative, just to smooth, just in case, obviously, the, 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 the um, distribution returns are later in the period rather than earlier. Now, the 7% essentially assumes a uh, inflation rate, a CPR rate of 2.5%. So it's really um, 4.5% above inflation. Uh, inflation's probably running at, at 25 2, 2% at the moment, sorry. Um, in terms of range that I tested, so in terms of getting it right or really getting it wrong, the range I used was 4 to 10%. So 10% growth rate, you know, is shooting the lights out, getting a fantastic asset. Uh, 4% is really making a mistake. So as you can see, I had all the other variables constant and then I measured what's the impact. The second uh, element is buying above, at or below fair market value. So what I did is measured what happens if we buy, if we overpay by 10% versus what happens if we um, get ourselves a bargain and we pay 10% less than what the property is worth and and what's the impact on, um, on overall returns. The third element was capital gains tax. And so I measured um, worst cases, uh, you know, that the, the ALP gets their uh, capital gains tax discount reduction uh, into law, uh, and they're, they're going to halve the discount from 50 to 25%. Uh, so what, what capital gains tax would we pay under that situation at the highest marginal tax rate? The best case is essentially putting a property inside a super fund and selling it uh, when you're in retirement in pension phase, you'll pay zero capital gains tax. So I measured impact from zero to, you know, the the the, the highest effective rate. Um, number four, I looked at interest rates. My midpoint was six percent, but I sensitised for a range of four to eight percent. So obviously, interest rates are closer to the lower end of that range. But essentially, what I'm trying to do is work out well how active do you need to be, or does your mortgage broker need to be? in managing the cost of debt, so reducing interest rates. 
And I guess that particularly plays into some of the changes of late in terms of investment loans on a principal interest basis, attracting nearly half a percent lower interest rate. So I guess the, the key question then is how important is that? And, and this analysis uh, sort of reveals that. Fifth, I look at rental yield. Um, I uh, assumed a midpoint, this is a gross rental yield before expenses of 3% and then tested a range of say 2 to 5%. So 5% being high, obviously 2 on the low side. Uh, sixth, I looked at rental growth rate. And this is a really interesting and important one. Will rent grow at the same rate as capital appreciation or will it uh, um, grow at a, a slightly less uh, lower rate or will it grow around sort of CPI? And so the midpoint um, I used was uh, 5%, the low end 3%, which is just slightly above inflation, and the high being 7%. So again, if we this is essentially saying, well, how important is rental yield and rental growth, that is rental income, in the overall investment decision? You know, some people are chasing properties with very high rental income. Is that a good strategy? And seventh, negative gearing. Uh, so it's obviously been well publicised by that the ALP is going to ban negative gearing on uh, on established uh, investment properties, uh, n existing investment properties or investments that you own will be quarantined. So you don't need to worry about that. Um, versus, uh, so that was my low end, which was no negative gearing. My my best case though was uh, maximum negative gearing at forty seven um, and a half percent. So what I've done is I've illustrated the findings in a in a graph, in a chart, a bar chart, um, which shows you the ranges of high and low. You know, so if you if you completely stuff up that particular factor, whether it's capital growth or interest rates or whatever, or whether you nail it, what are your investment a range of investment outcomes? And so I've got a link in the show notes, and I would uh, suggest that you check that out. Uh, also, obviously, there's the blog on our website, um, and you'll see the illustration there. But the answer is that capital growth, so the quality of the property, um, is probably five times more important than the second element. And the second most important element, by the way, is capital gains tax. Uh, and that's obviously on the basis of my analysis is that we're selling the property in 20 years. If you never plan to sell, and be careful of never say never, but if you never plan to sell, then capital gains tax is less important. Um, but capital growth rate is definitely the most important by a factor of five. The next important, as I said, was capital gains tax. The next important after that was then interest rates. And then the next important fact after that was rental yield. The remaining factors being rental growth, negative gearing, and believe it or not, buying well um, had virtually an insignificant impact on the overall investment. Um, so I think that's relatively uh, interesting. I guess what, what are the key learnings? Firstly, if you're going to invest, invest for quality. Don't worry about timing. If you can buy a fantastic quality asset and you've got to buy it at the peak of the market, it's not. It's ultimately not going to matter in terms of your longer term investment returns. Um, secondly, if, you're, um, if you have multiple property investments, probably even more important, or if your strategy is to sell an investment to be able to reduce debt or increase liquidity, if that's part of your retirement strategy, then certainly get advice around capital gains tax and get that ownership structure right and, and balance out um, um, negative gearing benefits and those sorts of things. Um, uh, thirdly, 
uh, make sure your mortgage broker is all over the uh, all over your loan portfolio, doing reviews, making sure the structure's right, and, and really just um, seeking to lower the overall cost of funds. Um, and then lastly, rental yield. Keep on top of your property manager, and think about any cosmetic or small improvements that you can make that will have a large impact on the uh, rental income that you can charge and make sure that your property manager is thinking along those lines, you know, maybe putting a split system in, for example, in an older style apartment can make it not only very, mo uh, very more attractive to, to prospective renters, um, but also increase the amount of rental income that you can charge. So it begs the question then, why are people so fixated on buying well? And uh, the reason I think is really just ego or fear. You know, the ego tells us that, you know, we don't want to look stupid and we're a little bit smarter than the average bear and so we should uh, buy for below fair market value. Uh, and uh, most importantly, we don't want to buy at the peak of the market and then for it to drop uh, one or two or three or four months later and we look like an idiot. Or fear, fear is the same, uh, probably the same thing as, as ego really, fear that we do completely stuff up the timing of an investment and we buy just before the market drops. But ego and fear, frankly, are not very useful emotions when making very important long-term financial decisions. Instead, we're much better off to stick to the fundamentals. And there's no smoke and mirrors in this analysis. My analysis that I've done uh, to identify the key factors here is really just rooted in simple math. It's, there's no subjectivity, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing like that. It's really just sitting down and working, okay, which numbers um, have the greatest sensitivity to my outcomes? So then you can work out where your focus needs to be. And in terms of nailing that capital growth rate, my advice has always been and will continue to be, uh, make sure you get advice from a reputable buyer's agent. And asset selection, when it comes to property invest investing, is a really important thing. So that's it. Check out the chart on our website. Um, and if you do enjoy these podcasts, please, please, sharing is caring. Uh, have a think about someone that also might find it as a good additional resource. And please uh, send them the link and, and recommend they subscribe or, or listen or read the blogs. That's it from me. Enjoy the rest of your week. Until next time, bye for now.